episode 21 of Positive Progression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I am Alan Cavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, a look into the future of Stuart Haas Racing. Who stays, who goes, and how much of a factor Cole Custer may play. A look at the good, bad, and ugly of the Truck Series rookies and the role Wrecking will play in their future. And we tackle Iowa, a state you have to go to to be president, and a state that may just deserve a cup race. But first, this is episode 21 of Positive Regression. David, so many Hall of Famers, wins, and championships to choose from with this number, 21. Naturally, this is the Trevor Bain edition of Positive Regression, David. Uh, of course it is. <laughs> uh, you know, Trevor Bain, Daytona 500 winner at 20 years old. We all know his story. Uh, certainly a surprise, even though that came in the, the era of tandem racing. Uh, maybe not a surprise if you were paying attention that weekend, but obviously a, a young driver at 20 winning the Daytona 500, a huge deal back then. And he did it for the Wood Brothers, setting an expectation that no one could live up to. Remember, David, some people may forget he never drove a full season in the 21. Those were during some dark times for the Wood Brothers financially, and he had four partial seasons in the 21 car, but that's how we are going to remember him because of the Daytona 500, and that's not a bad thing. I'm glad that you said that it wasn't a surprise in that race because the Daytona 500 win was an aberration within his career, certainly, uh, but it was not a fluke within the context of that race or that week. That 21 Wood Brothers car was the fastest car in the Daytona 500 that year, and Trevor Bain won the race. Uh, it is only random relative to the rest of his career, but it was not an undeserved win. And I say that to say this uh, prior to his win in the Daytona 500 I was down on him as a prospect because there simply was not one thing in his repertoire that stood out. He was this incredible source of frustration for me personally as a scout. You might not remember, but when he first emerged, he was actually a fairly obscure legend car driver when it was announced that he was a development driver for Team Renzi Motorsports. And that was the old Bush Series team for which Bobby Hamilton Jr. and Jason Keller drove. And it felt uh, then as if there was more sizzle than substance. Uh, that partnership fizzled. He found his way into Richard Childress racing uh, for a bit, never actually raced for RCR. He made his way into Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, competed there in the K&NE series, drove for Michael Waldrop racing, went to Roush Fenway racing. He bounced around. He and his, uh, his benefactors were willing to spend a little money to see where his career would take him. And it was, um, it was a little bit bizarre. Looking back, he didn't do anything particularly well. Um, even just in background discussions, there were plenty others in the evaluation game that weren't only skeptical of his ability, but there was actually an urban myth, Alan, that he may have been older than presented. Uh, just, yeah, purposely uh, younger as to race his stock as a prospect, which makes sense if you consider he always had some sort of driver development label or affiliation, but there was no evidence 
uh, that that is true. But when he won Daytona, that was the singular data point that allowed for the uninitiated to jump on me saying that I missed on Trevor Bain. And now I don't believe my ego is that big. I've missed on plenty of prospects, <laughs> either too high or too low, but I'm pretty thorough. And when I miss on a driver, I know that it's because I didn't give enough credence to a specific thing in his or her driving repertoire that ultimately translated. So you can imagine my frustration when he won the Daytona 500, deservingly, I will add, but there wasn't anything I missed. I mean, trust me, I went back, double-checked. It it wasn't there. This is the danger of making an assumption off of one data point. Uh, with time, I was vindicated. He ranked last last year in production and equal equipment rating 47th out of 47 drivers. He was a bottom seven passer, a below average restarter. In four of his last five years in a cup car, he ranked as one of the seven most frequent crashers. Roush Fenway invested in him for nearly nine full years because he also competed in the Xfinity series while he was driving the Wood Brothers cup car. Took nine years to get to the conclusion that uh, he's just not good enough to be doing this at the highest level of stock car racing, a very puzzling period of time. Yeah. And again, if you have to be remembered, at least he will always have that Daytona 500 trophy in his living room uh, out there in Tennessee. So, you know, it's just what, what more can you say? You know, the number 21, all the history, it wouldn't be positive regression if we didn't pick Trevor Bain for episode 21 of positive regression. And let's not forget, he's 28 years old. Maybe, David, he is not done yet. Moving on to this week's topics. Uh, last week in Michigan, a lot of reports, I believe they started with Adam Stern in the Sports Business Journal, uh, reporting that both Clint Boyer and Daniel Suarez have contracts that will come to an end at the end of this season with Stuart Haas Racing. That, David, is quite significant for a team with four drivers and two of them not signed for next year, potentially two openings on what is a, a highly successful, significant team in the Cup Series. Uh, other reporting that came out of Michigan, certainly Bob Pachris asking the questions, talking with Clint Boyer, getting comments about uh, said report. Um it just brings up a good discussion about what do we think Stuart Haas Racing looks like next year? What do you think happens? To half of the team, half of that organization is up for contract renewal. What do you think happens, David, with Suarez and Clint Boyer? Ooh, okay. I would say that the odds that one of them is retained for next year is 100%. They, they would, they would not part ways with both. I think that drops to 75% if, if you're asking me to hang odds on whether both stay. So let's work through this. I wrote about Clint Boyer a few weeks back. Even with all his gaffes, all his brain dead moments that people like you and me get to make fun of on shows like this. For all of that, he is a methodical driver who does a lot of things well. He's one of the 10 best passers right now in the NASCAR Cup Series. He's an elite passer on short tracks, and he doesn't get in the way of his car's speed. The, the 14 car 
is competitive, uh, certainly should be a playoff contender. Even approaching his age 41 season, which would be next year for him, I don't foresee him losing his job based on this year's performance. But he might command a lot of money. And Stuart Haas has proven shrewd in the past. Kurt Busch comes to mind there. They might not want to pay Boyer a lot of money for production that is sure to diminish in the next few years. My feeling is that he's safe. Uh, Suarez, though, is another story. Daniel Suarez cannot maintain status quo. He has to prove he's able to capitalize on the speed at his disposal. And to me, that means polls. That means running in the top five more frequently. And even looking at spreadsheets now, that is a stretch. Only 63.7% of his completed laps this season came inside the top 15. That's the worst of the Stuart Haas quartet. So frequent runs near the front of the field feel far-fetched. I would say qualifying for the playoffs needs to happen. If he does not show significant improvement during the second half of 2019 and his sponsorship ties with Eris really amounts to a wash if you consider his salary and that's sort of hearsay that's so take that for what it's worth if if the money is a wash Suarez does feel expendable going into this offseason in favor of a driver who is already employed by the race team. Yes, uh, David, what you're getting at, I, I assume, is the Cole Custer factor. Um, because if you remember, if you are a regular positive regression listener, uh, Cole Custer got a lot of love on our prospect list, heavily due to his age and what he, the production he is providing at such a young age and the value that can bring a, a productive young driver kind of reminds me of a, a good young quarterback, Dave, that you don't have to pay a ton of money to in the NFL. Uh, that, that's one of the most valuable things to have. Uh, are we looking at Cole Custer as a potential young producer who may not command as big of a salary and could find his way into the cup series because of his performance and especially because of his age? Yeah, on the cheap. And he might get the family deal, right? As his father <laughs> is a, a front office uh, member at Stuart Haas. But credit to Chris Mitchell uh, of Motorsports Analytics for pointing out uh, Cole Custer and, and focusing in on his age. Cole right now is still only a plus passer on two of the five measurable track types. But he makes a fast car faster. He excels in clean air and... Stuart Haas produces fast cars at the Cup Series level. I think it could be a, a pretty seamless transition. I think it's time to have the conversation about moving him up regardless of uh, these other two drivers' contract situations. To me, if this were to happen, the obvious driver to replace is Suarez. But look, I mean, Boyer has... He's approaching an age where it might ultimately force Stuart Haas into making uh, a decision. He, I, I was watching your your uh, cohort Bob Pockers' video where Boyer talked about fit factor. I, I got to be honest, Alan. I'm an educated man. Uh, I've worked in the sport for a while. I don't know what uh, what fit factor is, but I'm piecing together some of the context clues here. Uh, just, I'm, I'm gonna guess that the fit factor between Hendrick Motorsports and Jeff Gordon was also very good. 
Uh, so good, in fact, that Rick Hendrick has said that he would give his company to Jeff Gordon at some <laughs> undetermined point in the future. And still, Hendrick nudged an aging Gordon out the door when it appeared that Chase Elliott was ready for the Cup Series. If the strong fit factor between Hendrick and Gordon didn't belay the retirement of a, a future Hall of Famer, what makes Clint Boyer thinks, uh, think that Stuart Haas is going to value him any more than that? Uh, Stuart Haas is producing fast race cars. The organization has all the leverage here, Alan. I mean, any decision they make is going to be in their best interest at this point. What's your opinion? What happens at the end of the season? Well, what I'm wondering is, David, you know, in all the research that you do and scouting and all the stats, it's so important and pivotal. But how much of this just frankly comes down to money? Uh, I mean, we have seen Stuart Haas Racing or any team. You know, I can't just put this on Stuart Haas Racing. But, for example, Stuart Haas Racing employed Danica Patrick for many years because of the sponsorship dollars that she brings. And we see that with teams and drivers. If you have money, if you can bring sponsorship, it is just as valuable to your skills on the track. That is the reality that we live in, David. So all this work and scouting that you do, how much does just sheer dollars play a factor? Because both Suarez and Boyer run cars all the time with the Haas paint scheme. Um, you know, not having that other outside sponsor on there. We see that throughout the season. If one of those drivers, maybe a Suarez, if Suarez somehow finds more money to bring, is, is, is he all of a sudden, is that just sign seal delivered regardless of performance? I mean, doesn't that anger you as a, a scout or someone who likes analytics? <laughs> money is the most important item at the discussion table during these negotiations. And it might work the other way. The fact that Cole Custer could represent a cheap competitive option compared to Boyer or maybe even Suarez at this point is appealing. And that would be considered as much as his ability to produce. Kurt Busch was in a similar scenario. Stuart Haas backed him into a corner and more or less requested that he take a pay cut. He did it once, he did not do it twice, and that is what led to Kurt Busch leaving uh, Stuart Haas for a less competitive outlet at Chip Ganassi Racing. Kurt's happier because he doesn't have someone breathing down his neck to, to take a pay cut. So there's a number of different ways that this whole negotiation period can pan out. I don't think it's as easy as saying, well, Clint Boyer is Clint Boyer and surely he'll return. Well, I, I don't know about that. Would Clint Boyer at this age be willing to risk his final years in the sport or his health in general for uh, an amount of money that may be significantly less than what he's been paid in the decade prior? Uh, I don't know. Um, that, that boils down to Boyer's love of the sport because he might not be offered money commensurate with his expected production. And as he's approaching ages 41, 42, 43, it's going to diminish. So is Stuart Haas smart enough to realize that and potentially use their leverage in their favor? Interesting stuff. Only time will tell, and I look forward to finding out what exactly that is. But certainly a lot of questions to answer there. 
Moving on, let's talk some truck series, David, because uh, obviously close to my heart, we are in a stretch of four truck races in four weekends, which is fun. A lot of traveling for me on my side. We just had a good race out there in Texas with uh, a lot of cautions. It was an interesting race. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Greg Biffle won the damn thing. So did not quite see that coming after his uh, 12-plus year layoff from the truck series. But instead of talking veterans and former champions, David, uh, let's talk about rookies in the truck series and one who has definitely caught my eye, you know, being on pit road, uh, it forces me not forces, but you know what I mean? I, I watch every lap. I see every lap live. I see every lap, uh, on the monitor right next to me and or live on the racetrack, which is also right next to me. And let me tell you, David, at least once per race, there is a driver that will do something, uh, entertaining, something exciting. I've dubbed him a young Mr. Excitement. Sorry, Jimmy Spencer fans. Tyler Ankrum is the new Mr. Excitement, at least in my head, because at some point, David, in every race, he's sideways or he's pushing it three or four wide, maybe when he shouldn't be. You know, he's young, but he's got a fast truck and he's doing something entertaining. And I like the cut of his jib, as some people might say. And he brought home a career best third place finish in Texas last weekend. And half of his career finishes have finished in the top 10. I think he's going places, David. Mr. Young, Tyler Ankrum. Last fall, I wrote about Tyler Ankrum and the KNN East series, uh, sort of on a macro level. Ankrum won the championship in that division, but he didn't rank first in pier. That was Brandon McReynolds. Ankrum was not the most productive full-time driver. That was Ruben Garcia. And he wasn't the best producer for his age, which was... Harrison Burton, a fellow 17-year-old. On top of that, Ankrum won the championship during the leanest of seasons for the KNN East. Just seven full-time drivers uh, for the 2018 season, and the average car count was 20.2. And for a frame of reference, Joey Logano's record-breaking KNN East season in 2007 saw 12 full-time drivers and an average car count of 32.4. Wow. Uh, Logano didn't leave room for doubt. Ankrum did. Uh, now, this was not his fault. Tyler Ankrum showed up to every race and produced as well as he could, and he won a championship. But the perception, not of his doing, isn't great, and it creates a lot of questions. I would agree with you in that this year he's doing a lot to help his stock because the series he was in last year did not do that for him. He holds the 10th best peer after his finish at Texas. So he has an apparent ability to produce results at a higher level. Uh, the only thing bugging me right now is his surplus passing value is among the bottom five. He'll need to polish that. Uh, if he can't, if he can't get around Ben Rhodes and Austin self in efficient manner, uh, now he's going to have a tough go of it at the cup or Xfinity levels. And I'm with you. I think the, the glimpses that we have seen lately, his hard driving style, that's enough reason for optimism. I just like the entertainment factor and, and I like his finishes and what he's doing with his speed, but Mr. Excitement, let's start that right now. But moving on, another uh, another truck series rookie, uh, someone of the same ilk, if you will, Sheldon Creed. He's out there in the two truck, a good truck. Um, I think at times if Ankrum is overachieving, 
Sheldon Creed, I would say, is underachieving, David, because, again, I, I see them. I watch them every race. Sheldon Creed has a lot of speed. We've seen him with the ability to lead races, but closing him out, closing the races out, the, that ability is not there. Something happens, whether it be a spin-out or a crash or just a, a fade at the end. He is clearly, Sheldon Creed, not getting the finishes worthy of the truck's speed. And I worry about that in terms of this season. He is currently out of the playoff picture at the moment. Um, but again, he is a rookie in a fast truck. Are, are these typical rookie mistakes? Uh, oh, yes, yes. They, and, and maybe more so because we have to remember he is making, uh, an unprecedented transition from stadium dirt trucks to stock cars on paved ovals. Um, so he's learning a lot of new things and he's trying to get rid of some bad habits that another form of motorsport may have, um, put into his repertoire. But uh, look, Alan, I'm going to be honest. It has not been a good season for Sheldon Creed, but here's, here's the thing. Some drivers can have bad seasons, but they flame out so spectacularly that it's just damn entertaining and uh, to Sheldon Creed might be my Mr. Excitement, honestly. So no, I can we, see that he, he does. He, he is a, it's, it's that old adage. It's a lot easier to slow a driver down, right? than make them go faster. I mean, that's what we were talking about with someone like Sheldon Creed, uh, raw speed. You just got to harness it in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And we, we talked about this during the, the Q and a episode what do I look for is efficiency, efficiency in movements and Sheldon Creed needs it. Uh, Lauren Rainier spots for him sometimes spotted for him in the Arca race in Charlotte. And he was urging him to stop with the groove searching. It, it's, it's rampant. It's constant. It's admirable because he, Sheldon Creed is doing what he thinks will help him win a race. It isn't efficient for him or his tires, and that's going to have to be dialed back. But all of that is happening right now, and he went through the same process in ARCA. He had negative peer in his first year in ARCA. Two years later, he won the series championship. So with time, I think we can see some fun stuff from Sheldon Creed. Actually, we're already having fun with Sheldon Creed, but I think we can see some good results with Sheldon Creed, uh, and that would make his prospect stock look a lot better. Good stuff. And he's got a cool laid-back San Diego, California attitude. Full-time Charlotte resident now, but uh, the attitude, and, you know, the laid-backness, if you will, is still there. So looking for good things from Sheldon Creed. And our finally truck se- our final Truck Series rookie that we are looking at, Natalie Decker. Uh, seven races so far. A best finish of 13th. David, it's those crashes. What worries me the most? Um, obviously hurting just the results, hurting, hurting the perception. But when you crash in a race that often, it's just cut, it's, it's cutting your ability for track time and learning time. And sometimes she crashes really early and that, that is hurting, I would think her prospects because and you, I want you to weigh in on this, but it just seems that the perception of someone who, who wrecks, whether that is, uh, whether the numbers show it or not, whether that's the reality, the perception of someone who doesn't bring home clean equipment can hurt you more than just about anything in this sport. That, that's a good thought to have. I actually have her down for crashing seven times in seven starts, um, which gives us a crash frequency of 1.0 wow. per race. Um, that is the highest crash frequency of anyone with the minimum number of starts in Cup, Xfinity, Trucks, and ARCA 
so far this year. Some truck series drivers of the past with similar crash frequencies. And if you can home in on some common denominators, let me know. Narain Karthikeyan in 2010. What? Okay. Chase on. Mattioli in 2011. Brandon Jones in 2014. Chad Boat and Dalton Sargent in 2015. Austin Sendrick in 2016 and Myatt Snyder in 2017. Interesting mix of drivers, but what does this tell us? Unless Natalie Decker has someone willing to bankroll her development past this current crashing phase, it does not bode well for her. Uh, there does not appear to be a future. Uh, I, I think Right now, safe assumption, the best of those drivers that I just mentioned, Austin Sendrick, he got past his problem and is doing well right now in the Xfinity series. We've talked about his restarting prowess in past episodes, but while all of that was happening, Team Penske backed him the whole way. Um, I am also higher on Myatt Snyder than most, but when Johnny Sauter became available in the offseason, Thorsport Racing quickly brushed Snyder aside. And the, the crash factor or the likelihood of that may have factored in. I don't know. I wasn't behind closed doors. I'm not at high at all on Brandon Jones, but hey, keep cashing them checks, Joe Gibbs. But what it gets back to is if, you're putting yourself in these situations. One, you need to either learn from them uh, very quickly or you just hope that someone is going to help you double down on yourself until you get it out of your system. I don't know which is going to come of Natalie. Uh, I know that she has added to her schedule from what was announced at the beginning of the season, but I don't know how long that goes past 2019. This is something that teams will become frustrated over. It's it's a serious problem, and she's not putting up the results that would make teams maybe look the other way at an issue. Um, one of those two things, results or crashing, is going to have to improve very soon. Tough times. Tough times for rookies, no matter uh, what series or what skill level. It's tough being a rookie out there. The Truck Series and the Xfinity Series are moving on to Iowa. The Cup Series is off. But, David, should that change in the future in respect to Iowa? It's an interesting question. Does Iowa deserve a cup race? Deserve is a strange word to me, anyway. Would I mind it? Uh, No. There's no way I would mind a cup race there. Uh, for, for the simple, the most simple factor is just sheer variety. Uh, I think adding another track c- cannot hurt. Adding a smaller track like Iowa, the one with character, one where we've seen good finishes, one that the drivers seem to like. Uh, if a track is popular with the drivers, I, I tend to enjoy that as well because it seems to produce better racing or, or at least more entertaining racing, at least in their eyes. So does it deserve a race? I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Would I like to see one there? Sure. Absolutely. I don't think you can judge it based on the attendance of a truck Xfinity weekend. I don't think that's fair. Some people point to that and say, oh, look, no one shows up to the, the, the one weekend they have. Why do they deserve Cup? I don't think that's quite as fair to say that Cup is uh, quite different from Xfinity and truck. We all know that. Um, you know, it's owned by NASCAR. Does it <laughs> automatically deserve a race because of that? I don't think that's fair either. But 
out of sheer variety purposes and to add a, something in the mix, yeah, I would like to see a cup race in Iowa. What say you, David? Uh, again, deserve is a strange word, but does Iowa deserve a cup race? One of my favorite all-time television shows was a, an HBO show called The Wire. And I've heard of it. On The Wire, a character named Snoop said, deserve got nothing to do with it. Uh, Iowa Speedway. It's a fine track. It has great racing. There will have to be infrastructure changes to the surrounding area, getting onto and off of that property, which is in the middle of a cornfield, if you've never been. Uh, it, it isn't easy, and it would not go well with the size of the circus a Cup Series race brings. Um, there also isn't a sufficient number of hotels in the area outside of Des Moines that would hopefully change if this were to, uh, to come true. Uh, plus, uh, location, Alan, uh, do we really need more races in this part of the country? Because Kansas has two, Michigan has two, Chicago has one. Uh, we still pay a visit to the wrong Indianapolis track, in my opinion, and, uh, Kentucky isn't far from there. So are we putting too many tracks in, in one area of the country? I mean, if we could take the track design and move it to say Portland or Denver or Mexico City, maybe? I'd be more inclined to say it absolutely deserves a spot on the Cup Series calendar, but uh, we can't. Uh, so I can't I can't really uh, advocate for a, a glut of races in one region of America, but if, if it were to happen for Iowa Speedway, there better be some sort of plan to sort out some of the logistics uh, that go on there, because hosting a Cup Series race is a chore. Yeah, and just looking at the map, I mean, it's almost seven hours from Indy, but it's much closer to Chicago. St. Louis, which has a truck race, you know, can't, but we're talking cup. Kansas City's right down the highway. I mean, you can, I'm looking at it now. It's very close. I don't know if proximity would, uh, maybe you draw a lot from, uh, the, the Minneapolis crowd, the, <laughs> the Wisconsin crowd, the Dakotas the Nebraska's of the world. I know there are NASCAR fans out there and it's just, a, it's a good racing track. It's something different. And, uh, I would like to see it. I like, I like variety. I like change. You know, maybe we have the rotation going, but we'll see. Uh, I think, uh, we might see some articles come out of this weekend about, uh, some well done articles <laughs> about it, whether cup should be there or the prospects of it actually happening. So we shall see in the future. But like I said, no cup race, but we do have a truck and Xfinity doubleheader that I am excited for. David, what one thing I am really, really looking forward to, again, if you are a regular positive regression listener, and I hope you are, then you know about the prospect list we did now, you know, episodes back months ago. If you don't, go back and listen to it because the debut, the National Series debut of a young Chandler Smith will be this weekend in Iowa, in the truck series, in KBM equipment, in the number 51 truck, which just happened to have six wins so far this season. David, young Chandler Smith, I believe, was number two or three on your future cup prospect list, right behind Christopher Bell. This young man, Chandler Smith, who I admittedly had not heard of nor knew much about, is making his 
much anticipated national series debut. And I want to see him live up to the hype. Sorry, young man, no pressure, but I want to see him live up to the hype, David, and prove you right about uh, where you have him on the cup prospect list. What say you? Oh, he's, he is so much fun uh, to watch third on my list. I do not want to slight John Hunter Nemechek. You know what? For me, I want to watch the Xfinity series race uh, because last week, for motorsportsanalytics.com, I wrote about Justin Allgaier and the curious case of his disappearing track position. Uh, he won this race last year. It was his first win of the season, and he later finished second in his return trip. He has the second fastest car this year on short tracks, the third fastest car overall, but no finishes commensurate with the effort. I'd like to see whether he can bust into that Xfinity Series Big 3 we keep hearing about, uh, because if it doesn't happen now, ooh, I don't know. Um, putting a lot of pressure on himself for that second half of the season. I know the playoffs are in play, and you know the championship can be decided late, but you kind of want to see him firing on all cylinders, because when he's at his best, he is he's a consummate race win contender week in and week out. You want to get controversial, David? Is Iowa Speedway a short track? It's seven-eighths of a mile. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that yeah. because we can go down a whole road. Um, something I'm also noticing, Iowa Speedway is on Rusty Wallace Drive, which is awesome, but it's 33-33 Rusty Wallace Drive. Who did that? Why isn't it 22-22 Rusty Wallace Drive? I'm going to find that out this weekend, David, when I am in Iowa Speedway. That is my promise to you. Well, I mean, how, wait, how many things are on that street? Because I'm pretty sure it's just the track, right? So you who, are right there. Why can't? It, why isn't it just two Rusty Wallace drives? I'm going to find that out this weekend and report back. Promise. Oh, oh what a waste. Oh, good stuff. Hey, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. We've got all your favorite devices covered. If you like what you're hearing, and I know you do, we always get good feedback, but please leave us a rating or review. That really does help anytime you listen to a podcast specifically ours, but it does help this podcast gain visibility. Your help in spreading the word is really appreciated. If you have any questions, you know we love to answer them, so hit us up on Twitter. Reach us, reach out at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you've got like 57 jobs you work on. What are you working on? Uh, for The Athletic, I wrote about uh, the sheer speed of Stuart Haas racing this season. They are winless, Alan, in case you needed a reminder. Uh, and the organization's recent outing at, uh, in Michigan left a lot to be desired. Um, so I wrote about that also for the athletic working on a piece about Kurt Busch, a good story, uh, an explanation into how he's scoring such good results despite what, uh, we'll call adequate speed. Uh, that will be a big deep dive later this week. So please, uh, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, do that. Read the articles. Um, leave a comment. Ask a question. If it's a halfway rational question, I'll probably answer you. So uh, I encourage you to do that. Good stuff. And I'm looking forward to Iowa Speedway because, as I said, I will be there and I will be in the pits for both the truck and Xfinity Series race uh, professionally. That's a big deal for me. I've never been in the pits for in the Xfinity series. So that will be 
personally cool if you watch that Sunday on Father's Day. First of all, make sure you call your father, but also know that I am having a really uh, cool professional moment by being able to be down in the pits for that Xfinity Series race, and I appreciate you watching and listening to this. So uh, for that, again, everybody out there, have a happy Father's Day. Enjoy that. Thank you for listening to Positive Progression, a motorsports analytics podcast. We'll see you next week. Stay positive, everyone. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.